Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC, this is Money Talking. I'm Ilya Meritz. So I am at the J. Crew on right off Broadway in Soho. I do see some cute patterns here. There's a lot of summer stuff. Today, what ails J. Crew and what it means for everyone else who's trying to lure humans into little boxes and pick up threads and put them on plastic. We sent 32-year-old WNYC producer Anne-Marie Fertoli to a J. Crew this week, but she did not empty her wallet. I'm looking at this tank top now. It's like $98. I mean, I guess what really strikes me is there there are really cute things, but you can get them for much cheaper. Just a few years ago, J. Crew was admired for attiring Michelle Obama and for delivering solid profits. Now, the company is cutting jobs. The Wall Street Journal reports sales at its stores open for at least one year have fallen for the past 10 quarters. And you can add to that rather grim trend line the news that Abercrombie & Fitch is trying to sell itself after its share price dropped by half. And the fact that Ralph Lauren closed its Fifth Avenue flagship store, suggesting that even upscale retailers can no longer afford upscale rents. The New Yorker's Joshua Rothman has been trying to figure out what's going wrong with branded fashion. His piece, Why J. Crew's Vision of Creppy America Failed, is up at NewYorker.com. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. So I should probably say you are wearing kind of hip glasses and uh, dusty purple uh, button-down, and also that you do not normally appear in the magazine's business pages. You're more of a culture and books guy. So what got you interested in J. Crew and its troubles? Well, I have to say I felt a little sad writing about J. Crew's difficulties because I love J. Crew and I've spent probably more money than I want to admit to there over the years. I'm now 37. So when I was in my 20s, J. Crew was a really big part of my fashion life. And I was a little dismayed to be reading about how, how badly it was doing. Your story has pretty much the same villain that a lot of stories about high street fashion brands have, and that is the internet. But unlike a lot of those stories, your analysis doesn't focus on supply chains or price or even selection. It's what the internet is doing to our tastes that really interests you. And I guess that's really the problem here. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I think one way to understand what's happening to J. Crew is in terms of the idea of a lifestyle brand. You know, J. Crew has these big catalogs and they're called style guides. And they have incredible, beautiful photographs of people at every time of the day and year. You know, there there's a J. Crew way to wear pajamas, a J. Crew way to go for a hike in the woods. There's J. Crew will sell you a suit and a dress uh, in which to get married, although now they've had to close their bridal business. The whole idea is that they're selling you a way of life, really. And the internet, because it's made it easy to shop across brands, because it's made it easy for you to sort of, in virtual terms, flit in and out of a million different stores from your desk, it's undermined the value of that type of uh, comprehensive lifestyle branding. Like Anne-Marie, my producer, you visited your local J. Crew not long ago, and you wrote afterwards... The environment was pleasant and the salespeople courteous, but the clothes had looked better online where they appeared on models than they did on the racks. Isn't that a little unfair? It was an incredible thing for me to experience that. I, I um, Without really thinking about it, I've shifted most of my fashion purchases to the internet. And I guess, you know, I thought of internet shopping the way I thought about buying books on Amazon, for example. Like, it's just about the fact that it's more convenient. But When you really start to think about it, you realize how the internet really changes the way that you interact with the idea of clothes. So if you want to buy a a new spring jacket, say, you used to say, well, what I'll do is I'll go to the mall and aimlessly wander into all these stores and, you know, try on this or try on that. 
now you can make like a research project out of it. You can, you know, comprehensively evaluate every single spring jacket of the type that you wish to purchase. And you can see them photographed up close. You can read about the responsible business practices that led to their production. And the result is that the online shopping experience, in a lot of ways, it's richer than the experience you get in the store. And then when you do go to the store, it, it feels a little disappointing. And one of the ways it's disappointing is just the selection is so small compared to what's on the internet. You know, I always figured... For clothes, surely buying them in person has got to be better. But I think as online retailing has gotten more sophisticated, that's not true anymore. And actually, the store is a kind of lame way to shop for clothes. You also write about this shifting dynamic where um, in the old days when you had these lifestyle brands, they were basically sort of trading on really sort of our own sense of inadequacy, maybe, or, or aspiration, if you want to look at it positively. Now, the internet is also kind of researching you, like, it's serving up what you might like. I get a lot of ads for, like, underpants with my college's name on it, which is not something that I want. <laughs> but but maybe it's getting better at that now. Yeah, well, one thing that I found fascinating in thinking about what's ailing J. Crew is, you know, so imagine that you're a retailer and what you're trying to do is you're trying to sell as much clothes to each individual person. That's your goal. You've already sent catalogs to everyone in America who's in your demographic. And now you're trying to get each individual person who's seen that catalog to buy more from you. Well, the way you have to do that is you have to diversify what you're selling. You have to explore every little possible niche of uh, merchandising. And you just have to grow. You're like a deli in Manhattan that has one of those you know, 900-page menus. But if you're Amazon.com and there's you know, Amazon accounts for more than half of the online retail growth last year. It's just, it's a huge behemoth in online sales. If you're Amazon, you don't have to spend all that money merchandising in every nook and cranny. You can just look at your purchase history and you can say, well, it turns out that, you know, Josh and Ilya want, um, they've been looking for lots of workout gear. So I'm going to serve them ads for more workout gear. Or, you know, we notice that they've been buying in a slightly bigger size. Maybe they gained weight. Maybe I'm going to sell them, you know, new stuff in that bigger size. You're kidding. They can figure that out too. So there's just an unbelievable quantity of stuff you could get out of this data. And that's just a much more efficient and powerful way to sell clothes than to try to sort of take a shotgun approach and sell you one of everything in every corner of your day-to-day life. So do you think clothing subcultures will continue to exist and brands that cater to those clothing subcultures can still make money? I'm pessimistic about that. What I observe from younger people and to some degree detect in myself is that the desire to belong to that kind of subculture doesn't exist anymore. Now what is more interesting to people is this idea of adaptability and flexibility and almost anonymity. You know, sometimes you'll hear this term in the fashion world. People talk about normcore, which basically means, uh, you know, dressing normal, not dressing like you're on vacation in Cape Cod, but just dressing like a regular person who could fit in anywhere but looks really good. And if that's the style that we're all aiming for, it's really hard for a company like J. Crew or Abercrombie & Fitch or Ralph Lauren that's selling you a fantasy, like a really specific fantasy. It's really hard for them to get traction on your imagination in that context. Joshua Rothman is The New Yorker's archive editor. We have linked to his article on our webpage. Go to WNYC.org and click on Money Talking. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Ilya Meritz. This is Money Talking from WNYC. WNYC.